Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We are back and we are picking up where we left off yesterday and today is point number 12 and what we're focusing in on is, is there going to be a housing crash, a housing correction? Is there going to be any sort of housing apocalypse? Uh, and we've already covered the first 11 points uh, for all of you. So make sure you go back and listen or view all of those previous points. And if you're over on YouTube, um, please do remember to like and subscribe. Help us build the YouTube channel. We certainly appreciate all the support you guys have given to this podcast. And we love the fact that so many of you are so appreciative of the fact that we are really drill, drilling down, focusing on things that are going to put you in a position of confidence. Because remember, knowledge equals confidence, ignorance equals fear. And we are one, well, we never were um, what I'd call fluff merchants to begin with. No. But we're definitely not uh, doing anything to do with fluff or talking about anything that's not going to be directly relating to you helping somebody and making money. That is what our 100% focus really always has been. And I'm loving the fact that so many of you are now more appreciative than you ever have been that Julie and I have never meandered off into the fluffy realms of uh, the real estate world. So we are going to pick up on point number 12. Julie? Point number 12, buyers will continue to want to buy instead of rent. It is the American dream after all. And Redfin reports that nationally listed rents for apartments rose 15% so far over last year. The median rental list price is now over 2000 per month. And again, this was updated as of like three days ago. In Austin, Seattle, and Cincinnati, rents are up more than 30% year over year. That's interesting because that pretty much spans the country, right, with those three samples. More than 30% year over year. In Los Angeles, the median asking rent is $3,400 per month. And even in Nashville, it's over 2100 per month, which is also up 32% year over year. Now, the Mortgage Bankers Association reports that the average mortgage payment through April 2022, which is their latest update, was 1889 per month. So even though they're fairly similar, even with the higher rates, the average mortgage payment is less than the average rent payment. And we know that rents are continuing to escalate. And remember, what this podcast with this series this week is focusing on, these five shows, is oh, you know, why we don't think there will be a housing crash. While there might be some regionalized uh, housing plight, I would say, for the most part, you're not going to be experiencing any kind of meaningful housing crash or housing correction. Um, and I know that is in many ways flying in the face of what you are being led to believe or being told to believe in the marketplace. So this is, these are the facts. Again, I'm always going to say this for this week is knowledge equals confidence, ignorance equals fear. And I want you to drill down on the point Julie just made. And just think about it from a logical perspective. If a rental, even with interest rates where they are now, if someone can rent, I'm sorry, buy a house and have their payment be less than what the equivalent rent would be on the same house by a really huge margin, based on what Julie said, it could be, I mean, you heard what she said. In some cases, it's going to be as much as 50%. Why, if they could, would anyone choose to rent over buying? 
They, well, well, so people would argue, and I've seen agents trying to make this argument, well, why would they pay such a high interest rate? Well, when you pay rent, you're paying 100% interest, basically. You're not you're not building equity. Well, you're still paying interest. You're just paying interest on the landlord's mortgage. That's right. Yeah. So that's not a great argument. And, and we bring this up for all of you who are hearing from your potential buyers, well, I want to wait. I don't want to pay that higher interest rate. I'll just keep renting. We're giving you your talking points so that you can get into action. What's scary and confusing for everybody, um, including your humble uh, podcast host, is the fact that this inflationary thing that we're all going through is completely new in the way it's manifesting. It's completely new outside of maybe some historical examples from Germany or you could argue some other you know countries. But for the most part in the United States, we've never experienced something like this before. Um, and again, I'm, Julie and I are absolutely not going to scratch any political edges with regards to these statements. We're just, you know, noting facts. So it's understandable that this is a confusing time. It's understandable that you're expecting prices to fall again. It's understandable, perfectly logical, that you would expect there to be a housing bubble that's going to pop and prices are going to you know, fall back as they did back in 07 through 09. Maybe that's your expectation, but it's not going to happen for all the reasons that we're stating. And furthermore, here's the thing that's really confusing, mind-boggling, frustrating. Are you ready for this? Prices are going to be ex more expensive next year, not just on real estate, but on everything that you buy. So if you can lock in right now, and I know interest rates are probably going to scratch 6% here soon, but if you can lock in a 6% 30-year fixed rate mortgage, and that payment is you know 50% or maybe only 30% than what an equivalent rent payment would be, what are you getting out of that bargain? Yes, you're paying more than you would have a year ago. Who cares? You're still paying marketably less than you'd be paying in rent. And Julie's about to share with you guys some interesting points in point number 14 here. You're going to have some appreciation in the property. So not only, so if you can pay 6%, let's say for example, I'm going to go back just so I can really drill down on this. Let's say your mortgage payment is $1,889 a month. This is Julie's, you know, yep. for example, April, 2022, right? Um, now let's say maybe it's 2000. Let's just keep the math easy uh, for all of us. None of us were that great at math. Otherwise we wouldn't have gotten real estate licenses. Let's just be honest, <laughs> right? right? All right, so uh, it's 2000 a month is what your mortgage payment's gonna be. But let's say, and that's on a $400,000 house. So you're going to pay 2000 times. And again, I'm just oversimplifying, but just to make a point, you're gonna pay $24,000 for that house in the next 12 months. Well, if that house increases in value and it's 400,000 by 10%, let's say, or even 5%, 400,000 times 5% is $20,000. You almost basically just through the inflation or the appreciation on the house, you essentially have covered all your, your principal interest taxes and insurance, Which right? you cannot say renting. Hell no, you can't. You're going to actually work backwards. There was, mm -hmm. I wish we would memorize this, my dear, but there was a number, a statistic that came out that the average net worth of a homeowner over their lifetime is 75 times that of a renter. Yes. And I, I look, I get the fact that a lot of millennials mostly are uh, romanticizing the idea that they don't have any commitment to property, but they're also making uh, a, a bad financial decision. Which they'll regret when they're older. A hundred percent. And if you don't, I don't want to buy a house in Dallas because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Buy the house in Dallas, rent the house in Dallas out, and then move to wherever you're going to move next. Don't think that a house is some kind of anchor. It's not. It's an asset. Or sell it in two or three years and make your money. You guys get the point. Point number 13, Julie. Okay. Point number 13, the national unemployment rate is at a historic low of 3.6%. When you have a job, you pay your mortgage, especially when it's an appreciating asset with a fixed payment, as Tim just demonstrated. 
Now, to demonstrate that this time is not just like last time, in 2009, unemployment peaked at almost 10%. It was 9.9% at the actual peak of unemployment. Now, let's go down the worst case rabbit hole. Yes. Now, Julie and I are optimists. By the way, we live life, but we're pessimists in the way we basically make business decisions. And we talked about that the other day because we're always trying to place hedges or essentially a hedge is like an insurance policy against us being overly optimistic. That's right? right. I mean, that's what we do. And this is what this last point was. All right. So let's talk about that. If there is, here's your worst case scenario. If there is a really bad recession that results in a huge drop off in consumer consumption, which uh, drops off in a huge uh, decrease in businesses making money. And that results in them uh, laying off a bunch of people. Okay. Now we're in, in a big recession with high interest rates and we are uh, dealing with a lot of unemployment. Hey, welcome back to 1981. All right. Now in scenarios like that, you could have a situation where obviously there's going to be fewer buyers that can buy. There's going to be less demand because people obviously aren't in the position to purchase a house. We could have a complete scenario where it's basically worst case scenarios. All the, you know, all the uh, gloom and doom comes home to roost. It could happen. But guess what? The average homeowner right now has uh, about $200,000 in equity in their home. So they've got plenty of runway to sell the house if they had to. In other words, no distressed real estate. But I'll even go as far as to say this. And I know this is controversial and I understand why because frankly, Julie and I, um, you know, well, actually I'm going to say, if I was about to say something that might sound polit political, so I'm not going to do it. But I will say this. If there were even a regionalized um, increase in distressed homeowners, do, does any, do any of you believe that the government, whether it's a you know, Republican or a Democrat, would not have some kind of program in place to make it so people could have forbearances on those mortgages? Do you really believe that there will ever be any impetus in the country again to allow people to wholesale lose their houses? The answer is no. And if you want proof, just like how they handled um, COVID, right? There was an immediate rollout of a plan to put everyone on a forbearance. You could just say I was affected by COVID and boom, you have to make no payment for 12 months. Um, and we talked about that the other day. That is going to be the roadmap for any kind of future slowdown uh, or any kind of you know people facing unemployment. I promise you guys, this is the only, this, this is what makes sense. What do we think about it personally? Who cares? It doesn't matter. That is what's going to happen. So don't be positioning yourself to think that there's going to be big regionalized um, you know, houses going on sale. There might be some localized distressed real estate. That always happens. There'll always be little things that you can pick up. You know, houses that are inherited that they're essentially need a ton of work and someone wants to get rid of it really fast. Those types of things will happen. But if someone faces a job loss, the new way that people are going to behave is they're going to call up the mortgage company. They're going to say, I can't make my payment. The mortgage payment, mortgage company is going to say, we're going to send you one form. You're going to put it in forbearance. Let us know in six months whether you're able to pick the job up. Missed payments are going to go on to the unpaid balance of the loan. And even what they did, which is really interesting, after the uh, a lot of these houses were coming off forbearance after COVID, um, they were even, some of the banks were not only just saying, okay, you're uh, forbearance. Do you want to extend it? No. Okay. Well, by the way, would you like to go into a more advantageous mortgage? 
we're, we've already set it up for you if you'd like to just basically fill out these forms and we can put you. So the banks realized that they could make some money doing refinances at the same time, but it did lower people's payments. That is going to be the pathway forward. And it's really important that all of us understand that, that there's not going to be and no reason to believe that there's going to be a precipitous drop. And look, you guys can say, well, how, what does that have to do with the Fed printing money and the GDP or the uh, essentially national debt? National debt's at $30 trillion. Uh, and I don't really think that arguing that people are overly sensitive to what the national debt is, is even remotely relevant anymore. Okay. The, it just is what it's it is. It's not your primary thought. It's, sure. And besides, you're a real estate practitioner. All of us are fake macroeconomics. Economists. I can't even say Economists. It. Thank you. Right? <laughs> proving the point. Like proving the point. Okay. No, but here's the thing. Here's what I think was really interesting about that coming out of COVID. Before COVID, you know, it was pretty speculative whether we would have any changes to, you know, if there's a whole bunch of uh, inventory and prices start to depreciate and people lose their jobs. It was speculative. We could say, well, nobody wants to go through another housing crash again. But what was cool about how they handled COVID was how quickly those forbearances became rolled out. I mean, it, it was not 2021. It was during 2020, fairly early on in the pandemic. It was very proactive. And one of my thoughts about that as I was doing this research was what you said, the banks would reach out to their clients as they were coming totally. out to, uh, out of uh, forbearance and say, hey, you know what? Are you back on your feet? Would you like another 90 days? Would you like another six months? It became almost like a uh, mortgage company's client retention plan to reach out and say, you know what? We will work with you. And that is absolutely the opposite of the last housing crash where nobody literally knew what to do. The banks didn't know what to do. The government didn't know what to do. Realtors, mortgage bankers, you know, buyers and sellers didn't know what to do. So it's not like that. Time. We could, we could pile on this point for hours, I know. Could, but just think about this one. For example, how, what percent of the mortgages, and you probably have this in your notes. I should, I might. Uh, yeah. What percent of all the mortgages out there are less than three and a half percent? You know, look, I'm going to tell you this, guys, listen uh, to what lot. I'm saying a lot, right? The vast majority. Yeah. And you, you your first point was like only what, less than 10% are adjustable, right. Mm -hmm. right? So listen, guys, I'm, please listen to your coach if you're in premier coaching already or your future coach because you're going to join today. Listen, listen, listen. If you have a 30-year fixed rate mortgage that's really 4% or less, or especially those of you that are blessed with 3% or less mortgages, never pay it off. I mean, and never sell it. That is free money. When in the inflation rate, if you believe it's 9.1%, is at 9.1% uh, and your mortgage is at 3%, you're being effectively paid to borrow the money to buy that house. Do not sell that house ever. That will absolutely uh, turn out to be one of your best investments. Well, even at 5 or 6%, the math still works. 100%. Yeah. And so these are all, by the way, Premier Coaching. Yes, many of you, hundreds of you in the past couple of months have joined Premier Coaching since we retooled the program because of this new market, this new economy that we're all sort of begrudgingly going into, right? Mm -hmm. So if all of you, and all of you should, want to join, e I'm sorry, join uh, Premier Coaching, please feel free right now to text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier to 47372. And when you do, guys, you can join Premier Coaching 100% free. It takes about 22 seconds to join. Uh, and Premier Coaching is perhaps the nation's number one uh, real estate coaching program, from what I've been told. 
And this does include a daily semi-private coaching call. So if you're looking for a very clear what to do next, what actions to take, if you're looking for 100% clarity on what you're going to do to push quickly through the malaise that is become the real estate, that is becoming the real estate market to know how to get to what the, uh, essentially is going to be the next boom in the real estate market. If you want to know how to go from here to there, that is what we made Premier Coaching to be for all of you. Text the word Premier to 47372. Text the word Premier to 47372. Or of course, you can just go to members.timandjulieharris.com. Members.timandjulieharris.com. You, there's no excuse for the tens of thousands of you listening right now not to join Premier Coaching. There's no strings attached. You get instant access. Um, you get, you can join the daily semi-private coaching calls immediately. You get all the, you know, the scripts, the objection handlers. You get everything that you need. Text the word Premier to four seven three seven two. Text the word Premier to 47372. Message and data rates may apply if you're texting. Point number 14. 14. Point number 14. Let's talk about inventory. According to the National Association of Realtors, inventory is currently up by 12.6%. This is as of like three days ago. Correct. Then that's year over year. But it is still far lower than what's needed. Currently sitting at about 1.16 million homes for sale or a 2.6 month supply. They don't know what that means. So let's explain it. Right. So right now across the country, there's 1.6 million homes for sale. And we do believe those are homes that are in the MLS may or may not include new construction that's not listed. So just correct as well as for sale by owners and stuff like that. Exactly. So that means there's a 2.6 month supply. So based on what's being, this is called absorption. So based on what's selling right now, the number of homes that are selling per month right now, it would take approximately, if no other new homes came for sale, it would take basically less than three months for all 1.6 million homes to be sold. 1.16, but yeah. Well, sorry, 1.16, right. So it would take basically, so effectively you can do the math in your head. There's a little better than, what would it be? 300,000, um, something like that. A little better than that, that are being sold per month. So if no other new homes came for sale, all of a sudden no homes come for sale, the new listing's completely gone. Three months from now, effectively there's no homes for sale. That is not a problem for the real estate market. And I know some of you, you're like, holy crap, it didn't take, you know, I had to have the house for sale for more than, you know, six hours. Listen to me, folks, three, 90 days, if, you know, 2.6 months supply. Uh, that's incredible because that does give the buyers a fighting chance of getting a house. That does create optimism in the market because the sellers that are fence sitting thinking they won't be able to get a house are now realizing more homes for them to choose from. This starts to create more market velocity. You want more inventory. This is a blessing, not a curse. For those of you who think it's a curse, you need to get skilled up so you realize you just need to know how to have relationships with your buyers and sellers that last more than 14 minutes. And it's extremely exciting for powerful listing agents. Why? Because you can build your listing inventory personally. Why do you want to do that? Why would you want to have a relationship with a seller for more than six seconds, right? It's because your listings generate leads for you. And this is something that many listing agents were frustrated by when you used to put a listing on the market on Thursday, then you'd show it on Saturday and you'd consider your offers on Sunday and accept by Monday. You didn't have time to generate the way you can now. They weren't even putting signs in the yard. They weren't even making home brochures. There's some, there's honestly, guys, most of you, I would say 98% of you, you have uh, you don't know what you don't know. And we're trying to be as polite as, and as least, less confront. You know, we don't want to be overly confrontational to try to help you self-diagnose what you don't know. But I know what's going to happen with most of you. Most of you are going to not, you're going to discover on the job what you don't know, and that's going to cost you money. So you're signing yourself up for some very, very expensive lessons. In other words, you're going to go to a listing appointment 
for somebody you thought was going to be a layup, center of influence, past client type, you're not going to take the listing. They're going to list with somebody that they didn't know, but was more professional who essentially maybe was even our coaching client. You're not going to get the listing. They're going to get the listing. You just lost say $12,000. That is a very expensive lesson. I wonder how many of you are going to wait until you suffer needlessly before you start taking seriously the fact that you need a new skill set for this market. I, and I know what the answer is. It's the vast majority of you. That's the experience you're going to have. And what is that going to result in? How many deals are you going to lose? How many opportunities are you going to lose? Julie just said it. You take one listing in a marketplace like this, you're going to create multiple transactions. Spend all your best energies. And I don't care how old you are, maybe two or three hours a day. You've got really great energy, really great focus. If you're lucky, it's two or three hours a day. Don't spend that time making a TikTok video. Spend that time focusing on how to become a powerful proactive lead generator and spend that time how you know, effectively becoming a powerful listing agent. Everything else should not even be considered in a market like this. Focus on what's going to put you in a position to make the most money and help the most people. Uh, that's bad linguistically, but you get the point as fast yeah. as possible. Yeah. Well, so here's the other thing that has already hit the fan is that some of the agents that, to your point, they don't know what they don't know. They have taken the listing. Okay. So they, you know, you were talking about not getting it when you're competing, but what if you did take the listing, you overpromised. now you're under delivering. The house hasn't sold in two weeks. You're freaking out. The seller's freaking out. This is what causes temporarily off the market withdrawns you lose the listing you get fired that's what's going to happen the seller's going to be at starbucks in line they're going to talk to their know-it-all neighbor who used to have a real estate license they're going to ask them about you know the the seller is going to be you know breathing hopium thinking the market was like it was six months ago the other you know former agent or whatever you guys get the idea some somebody whispering in their ear is going to cast dispersions on the fact that the house hasn't sold already. And the next thing the seller is going to do when they sit down and drink their double latte espresso, whatever the hell it is, they're going to text you and tell you that you are fired. That is what's going to happen to so many of you because of the fact that you don't know what you don't know. That's the reason that coaching and training is the next natural step for all of you, especially because of market like this. Don't wait to fail. How are you going to feel failing? Terrible. And that's going to be something that might take you weeks, if not months to get over. You know, that's the reason you want to avoid the pain if you can. That's the whole point of essentially having your skills in place before you need them, right? Hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst, especially, I mean, honestly, in my 52 years, I think that is this, that saying, that's saying hope for the best, be prepared for the worst is perhaps more salient now than it ever has been. Absolutely agree. So point number 15, the number of sales has declined but it's declined to about the same rate as 2019 pre-pandemic numbers. Now that just means that we went back to a slightly less hot, but still hot seller's market. Not a crash, a shift. Now, according to Lawrence Yoon, the uh, chief economist of National Association of Realtors, this is a quote, homes priced appropriately are selling quickly and inventory levels still need to rise substantially, almost doubling to cool home price appreciation and provide more options for home buyers. So that, that sort of speaks to one of our previous points about inventory. Yes, it's gone up, but it's not even close to, uh, don't scan while I'm talking. Uh, it's not even close to what it would need to be to even be a balanced market, much less a buyer's market, right? So most economists say that we're, and Yoon is one of them, that is gonna need uh, two to three million more in, in terms of almost double the inventory 
just to be balanced. A balanced market is five to six months on the market, one buyer for every listing. <laughs> it sits on the market for a little while. It still sells. You're probably not going to have competing offers. It's probably not going to sell for full list price, none of which is the end of the world. That is a balanced market. Back to you. Well, so the next point, Julie, is a big point, and I'm going to hold this one off till tomorrow. Agreed. We're going to be talking about inflation. I'm going to give you guys a couple takeaways. Actually, I'm going to give you a homework assignment around point number 16. Um, I want you to seriously go to like, I don't know how many of you run all your personal expenses, your business expenses through like credit cards. It's probably all of you who uses cash anymore. So let's say, for example, use American Express. I want you to go to your American Express um, account statement from 12 months ago and just look at it. And then I want you to pull up your American Express account statement from this month. And I want you, chances are you're buying the same stuff at the same places. I want you then to look to see how much more you're spending on staples. Staple would be, you know, eggs and butter and toilet paper, then gas, then everything else. And what you're going to find essentially, I mean, even more so in California in markets that are like, you know, have more expenses just in bread into their like gas prices in mm -hmm. California are always higher because there's a lot of extra taxes on gas in California, for example. But I want you to actually do the math and figure out how, what your personal rate of inflation is. I've done this with, um, a whole bunch of people, let's say, and the le every single person, we had this conversation with our neighbors, our friends, I've done it online with some of you guys, every single person, the rate of inflation is around 20%, 18%, 20%, somebody was in um, New York City, it was like 23%. So what that means is their money over the last 12 months has depreciated by 20%. Their buying power, putting it in a different way, and I know this is such a screwed up concept to try to wrap your brain around, but you're, so what, what cost a dollar last year now costs a dollar 20, but it's even worse because what you're getting for your dollar 20 is actually less than what you're getting last year. So last year and Julie, we did a podcast on this, you know, uh, companies have been doing everything in their power. Don't believe the Marxists that are in the, Oh, that was political. <laughs> Sorry. Slipped. Yeah. But yeah. don't believe the, the politicians that are trying to get you to believe that the inflation is caused by the producers. It's a lie. So what the producers have been trying to do is not raise prices, but they've gone to the extent that in order for them to maintain their margins to make any profit whatsoever, they've now had to reduce the quantity of what they sell. So you buy a bag of potato chips and in the potato, it, a year ago, there were more potato chips in there. It's called shrinkflation. Yeah, shrinkflation. That is what's happened. That's the first phase. That, those were the producers, the retailers, you know, the people making stuff, they were trying to uh, not pass inflation on uh, to the economy. And that is, for the most part, where most retailers or producers are still at in the cycle. They have yet to push their inflated costs of producing things for all of us off to consumers in the, in, in the form of inflation. Uh, that's going to change because now is everyone is hoping and praying that the inflation was just going to be transitory. By the way, yesterday marked the first time that the government said inflation was transitory. Do you know that? Mm. So it's a 12 month anniversary of calling this inflation transitory. It's not a transitory. This is a long-term year, you know, pops three to five year in, in uh, 1971, 1981, the last bout of inflation that was similar lasted 10 years. Could it be 10 years this time? Why wouldn't it be? Well, you're seeing it even in things like utility bills, right? Totally. So, for example, in, especially in uh, Texas and California and out West where They've already been suffering from, if you take uh, the availability of electricity, not only it, and you want to make sure that you open those utility bills that are just like a flyer. Guess what those flyers are saying? 
by the way, our costs have gone up, so your costs are going up. So we're just letting you know that you're going to be paying about 10% more. And by the way, we're also going to be doing rolling blackouts. So don't be surprised if you don't have power two or three times a week for two or three hours at a time because we're trying to conserve energy. There was a survey done. I didn't tell you about this. Mm-hmm. I, I got this from the All In podcast. It was mm-hmm. so awesome. There was a survey from that was done by, let's just say, I think it was 300 CEOs in order to be invited to this conference, your company had to be doing, it was like high bars, right? It wasn't just, you know, Bob, the guy who cuts your grass, calls himself the CEO and he gets to go. So not this, let's just say that just to get invited to this thing was a high bar, just to be accepted and get an actual invitation to get your seat in this thing. It was a high bar. Now, so they were all um, surveyed. It was, I think the number was 300. And the question was, and these were CEOs of all different types of companies, are you making any cutbacks? And all of them said, virtually all of them said no. And virtually all of them said that they're going to try to build and be more aggressive and be more opportunistic because of this market. Well, now let's, that sounds great. That's a bunch of people thinking like, well, you're being opportunistic. You're going to, you know, when there's blood on the streets by real estate, you, you know, when the Warren Buffett, when people are greedy, be fearful, when they're fearful, be greedy, right? All that, I get it. But here's the reality of it. In an economy like this that we're entering into, of all 300 of those CEOs who, if they are indeed basically entering into this slowdown and this reset with the idea that they're going to build their businesses and gobble up market share, you will see a vast majority of those small and medium-sized businesses, they'll go out of business or they'll have to retrace their uh, essentially financial positions. That's the natural thing that happens. There are so many businesses that have been built and have only lived in the last 15 years during this crazy, you know, uh, quantitative easing program after quantitative easing program. The government has been pumping trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy. That money went to all kinds of different places. It went to asset uh, inflation, appreciation, it went to things like uh, business formation. It went to uh, people that had venture money. It went to crypto. Now, if all that money is coming out, which it is through inflation, through well, frankly, through inflation, but also over the rising of interest rates, and the Fed trying to sell is starting to sell all the assets that they've been buying, you know, mortgage-backed, all this type type stuff. So if that's if we're in a reversal phase of that, how many businesses were built predicated on that steady stream? of government infused cash always being there. And I can tell you guys, I there are virtually every business is based on realities that do not exist anymore. Now, how bad will the government, how bad will the Fed allow things to get? I have no idea. Neither do you and neither does anybody else. And frankly, it doesn't appear that the Fed does either. But as that money starts to trickle out of the economy, you're going to see, what are you going to see hypothetically? You're going to see a slowdown in consumer spending. You're going to see a slowdown in, um, you know, everything, basically. Everything is going to reset. But in the interim, just remember, you are in, despite what might be happening as far as headwinds because of the inflation and probably a, a recession if we're not already in one. You are in a blessed position because you're selling something that everybody needs. It's really critical that you understand that. You don't have to panic. The only, if you're feeling fear, don't try to whitewash your fear away. Don't try to, you know, happy talk your fear away. Don't try to, you know, fool yourself into thinking you're just needing to focus on your big why. The reason you're feeling fear is because your, you know, intuition, your lizard brain is saying, Bob, you are not prepared. Get your ass prepared. In real estate, in most, frankly, a lot of businesses like real estate, it all comes down to the skill set you have 
so you can essentially be able to offer the services to the types of services and the ways that this market demands to the people that will be demanding it. If you're feeling fear, it's because you know you're probably not a proactive lead generator. You know you probably can't pre-qualify to save your life. You know you can't present to somebody who is essentially you don't have a center of influence past client type relationship with. It's going to become very competitive and very quickly the market's going to sort itself out. That's the nature of life, not just business, but life in general. So I'm asking all of you to seriously consider the fact um, that if you are feeling stress, if you are feeling unease, the best anecdote to that, did I say it right? Anecdote? Yeah, anecdote to that is going to be to uh, backfill your education, learn what the market demands so that you don't have to be scared anymore. Mar you know, knowledge equals confidence, ignorance equals fear. The way to have an unfair advantage, to the way to earn the right to be of service to more people is to have the skill set that those people demand. And that is going to be different than what we required six months ago. The fluff is leaving. The, the branding is all these types of things that so many of you thought were the most important things. You're quickly going to discover that they're not. The strongest, if I am going to be overly direct and maybe offend some of you, and I'm willing to do it because I want all of you to hear what Julie and I and all of our coaches and staff have to say, the best, smartest thing you can do is take all of the things that you thought were important, that were not, that it, write them all on a piece of paper and then put a little star by the things that were, or that are going, everything that's on your mind, everything that you're basically thinking of doing in your business, which of those things that are on your list are going to lead directly to a paycheck, like in less than 90 days? Which of those activities that you thought were important that were on your to-do list um, were going to lead directly to a paycheck? And I guarantee you, that if you wrote down 20 things, there's probably one or two that are going to lead directly to a paycheck. All the other things on your list, you need to seriously think about putting on the back burner of completely forgetting about. Those are luxury expenses. Those are luxury things. Your branding, your marketing, all of that other stuff. Those are the types of things that are going to take too long to work in any market, but especially a market like this. And there's, unless you have very, very deep pockets, you're going to run out of money and you're going to be experiencing hardship. And guess what? There's six months left this year. So you're going to be essentially experiencing hardship in your business at the same time the economy is getting worse, at the same time inflation is getting worse over the holidays. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? So my strongest of encouragements to all of you, and I know that some of you are going to say, I don't like, you know, they're, they're coming off too pessimistic. They're, they're not, you know, rah, rah, rah. We're not because we know what's coming and we're not going to lie to you. We're going to expect all of you to have the emotional maturity to deal with reality and not happy talk yourself into oblivion. That's what we're hoping all of you accept. And guys, the simple reality is, is you are in a real estate at the right time. You just now have to learn how to essentially be competitive in this market. And that's going to come from your skill sets. And then your mindset will follow. Don't be, you know, believing that your mindset's the problem. That's another luxury thought. Do not think my mindset's the problem. I need to work on my mindset for the next six months and work on my dream boards. You got to work on your skill sets. You got to start making money. And then you're going to realize as you're helping people and you see yourself helping people, you're going to realize, guess what? My mindset is fantastic because I actually see myself doing what I've always wanted to do. Your actions will control your mindset. So if you have a crappy mindset, it's because you're not actually helping people and you're not actually making money. That is a contrarian perspective on a lot of the things that are being told to you guys, but it's also what we feel to be the truth. And I think a lot of you agree. Otherwise, this wouldn't be the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.